0: Hi, and welcome back to The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. So today's episode is a little bit different as we're joined by Catherine, partner at Iceman Capital, and John. Head of the World Economic Forum's Uplink to talk about the Forum's Innovative Funds of Our Future challenge, which calls for innovative VC funds who invest in people and planet-focused entrepreneurs that can strengthen innovation ecosystems and strive for the achievement of the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. Selective funds will receive the magical recognition and visibility that only highly acclaimed organizations like WEF can give you. So pay attention to see if this challenge is something for you. Before we get on with the episode, we want to direct your attention to our upcoming fireside on raising VC funds in certain times. Just hit up our LinkedIn page and register for the LinkedIn Live on June the 7th, 3 p.m. Central European Time.
1: John, Catherine, welcome to the European VC. Thank you for joining us. How are you today?
2: Hey, guys. It's great to be here. Greetings from a very sunny London.
3: Likewise, here in Geneva, Switzerland, beautiful weather. It feels like summertime. We're excited to be uh, spending the next few hours with you. Minutes. Hours will
1: be a long time. (laughs) Uh, We'll do
4: hours. I love hours.
3: We will do
1: hours and then we'll do a five-hour long special episode.
4: Thank you to me. Uh,
1: (laughs) Before we start with that long special episode, we always like to start with the same old question of what got you into venture. Since, John, for you, the question will have to be slightly adapted, let's start with Catherine. So, Catherine, why the hell did you end up in venture? Guide us through that story and what led you to where you are today?
2: Yeah, thanks, David. This is such a good question that you ask because one of the things that I find so cool about our industry is that people come from really quite a range of backgrounds, right, in terms of education and careers, So in my case, I guess I always had a thing for founders. I come from an entrepreneurial family, although it's about as far away from tech as you can imagine. It was a mining company in Canada.
1: Wasn't that tech at the time?
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know that it is tech today. (laughs) It's still pretty old school, but I guess... You know, I got to witness firsthand a lot of the kind of joys and less so joyful bits of, of building and running a company, and that was really quite inspiring. So, I did choose, I suppose, a fairly traditional path. Initially, I became a lawyer, worked in a big law firm for a few years, helping businesses with some M and A transactions and some financings, and that sort of thing. And it really wasn't until I left and did my MBA that I discovered what VC was all about. I mean, it's still not the most sort of obvious career choice today, but it certainly wasn't going back some years. So from then on, I thought, wow, again, I can't believe some people actually do this for a living. This is super cool. I'd love to do that. And then the route began to finding a way to do that. And part of that route involved A little stint as a founder myself, which is an amazing experience, but made it very clear to me that I didn't have this uh, special magic that entrepreneurs are made of and gave me even more empathy for those wonderful people that are building companies. So sort of reoriented my efforts on uh, becoming an early stage investor, worked in growth equity and then became a slightly different type of early stage investor by leading investments in emerging managers. And this is how I got to meet my partners, Joe and Chris, and how we got to build Isomer, which is hopefully the last job I'll ever have.
1: That's a nice way to end it. And our regular listeners will recognize the names. We've had the pleasure of interviewing both Joe and Chris, and we'll definitely uh, keep on bringing Isomer on for interesting stuff in the podcast. John, this podcast is called The European VC, and we interview VCs and our listener are GPs. And so the obvious question is, why the hell did we invite you? Do you want to give us shed some light onto who you are and why did
3: we invite you to be here today? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Andreas and David, for having me with you guys today. Listen, it's been a bit of an adventure for me. I've been on the fringes of this industry for a long time. I've been leading the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leader community over the last decade. And through that, gotten to meet a whole number of really inspiring VC leaders, founders, and people that are also at that fund of fund level as well. And I've always thought about this aspect of what does the impact look like, and they've been a real inspiration for me. In fact, been really exciting to see a couple of their funds kind of creep towards our project over the last week or two. But tangibly speaking, great to meet you, David, at our headquarters in Geneva uh, last year in the fall, and we began talking about what Uplink is. Uplink is the World Economic Forum's open innovation platform. We have a vision of looking to create bridges across innovation ecosystems for big impact for the the founders and particularly entrepreneurs focused on achieving the SDGs. And as we began thinking about this ecosystem and if we're true to that mission of building bridges, part of that ecosystem that we need to be supporting, working with and looking to see thrive is certainly the VC industry as well. And that got us thinking about how could we think about launching a challenge together. And so with Isomer and the European VC, a number of other supporting partners in this challenge, we've gotten off the ground an endeavor called the Innovative Funds for Our Future, where we're calling on fund managers to source and bring through their funds as examples of the type of innovation we need to support entrepreneurs and to see those funds and VCs thrive. Without a thriving VC community, we're not going to see entrepreneurs succeed. We're not going to see governments being willing to set up policies for entrepreneurs and VCs to thrive. And so it's been really exciting to see this come to life and to be thinking with you guys and others about who are the funds of the future and what are the criteria that make them different from more legacy funds? How are they treating entrepreneurs in a different way and looking to accentuate kind of a long-term approach to some of these really exciting areas? And the challenge that we've lined up has thematic areas across food, water, oceans, nature, health, education, climate, renewable energy. So all of the issues that are central to the SDGs, but are also central for creating jobs, for seeing both people and planet in unison together. So let me stop there. I think hopefully that gives a little bit of a background about how I ended up here. And now today, I'm the head of Uplink and really excited to be trying to bring together partnerships like this across a whole bunch of different uh, areas.
4: Before we dive into what exactly the challenge is for future innovative funds, I just want to ask you, why should the GPs out there be submitting for this challenge? What do they stand to get out of it?
3: Good question. So listen, the World Economic Forum has been bringing together and convening people for over 50 years. At its core, we're looking to bring together the private sector, the public sector, and kind of broadly speaking, civil society, although I mean that in a very broad sense. And over the years, we've developed communities across many industries, across geographies, and increasingly in the last few decades, also across different levels of generations and now also types of private sector companies, all the way down from the startups to the biggest multinationals in the world. And so we've designed this in a way that we think can help GPs access some of the things that we've heard from them that they need help with. And in fact, it's kind of been a nice parallel to what we hear from entrepreneurs a lot of times we hear that in the case of up and coming entrepreneurs like up and coming GPs recognition and credibility is something that can be helpful if it's your first fund out there how can you kind of get a little bump in kind of your your stature hopefully this is a way to do that secondly we're also looking at visibility the world economic forum and uplinks digital reach is now past 30 million followers across facebook linkedin Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. And so we're able to actually amplify, tell great stories about the entrepreneurs. And in this case, we're really excited to tell the great stories about fund managers and GPs. And you've already seen a couple that we've put out in the last couple of weeks, but we're really excited to be able to see how we can scale that. I think the other part about it is also access. We're really excited to not only provide visibility and recognition, but also access to some of the World Economic Forum's communities of funders. And we think that we can inspire some of the philanthropists, some of the family offices, some of the private equity firms and LPs that are part of the World Economic Forum's ecosystem to think about investing in the types of funds that we're bringing through this initiative. And lastly, it may not be something that every GP is saying they need, but we're hoping to also inspire that group with some of the really fantastic entrepreneurs that are already part of Uplink. And if we can build some connections between those entrepreneurs and the GPs, that would be a big win for us as well.
1: Catherine, you and Isomer, of course,
3: decided to join the likes of ourselves, the European
1: VC, Carbon Equity, the Solinator, the Impact Office, Salkantai Ventures, and Siemens Energy Ventures in being partners of this initiative. And the biggest question is why? why? Why did you think that this was worth your attention, time, and partnership?
2: Well, we were... So excited when we got approached by John and his team to uh, talk about the design and the goals of the program, mainly because it's really a natural extension of what we do in our day jobs, right? We are focused on early stage VCs. A lot of that involves emerging teams, and we talk to them every day, so we know firsthand how much support they need. And of course, that's capital, right? I think any a lot of VCs raising a fund will tell you that it's not easy and they are really desperate for more LPs, more partners to come into the market and give capital, but also opening up networks, raising their profiles and putting them in front of opportunities that they may not have had otherwise. So. If you think about a leader like WEF coming in and saying, hey, look at these funds, they're doing incredible things, and you can get involved in multiple ways, we see that as a hugely positive thing for the ecosystem, certainly. And I think this is particularly true when you think about VCs who are going after these uh, big environmental and social problems, right? If we want to be backing the next uh, world-changing ideas, these founders need to have the capital and the resources to get these companies off the ground and into the world. Uh, Really here, we're not talking about me-tos or marginal improvements on things that already exist. We're, We're talking about, in many cases, tech that hasn't even been created yet especially when we consider the challenges with climate, right? So the founders need a lot of help, and to be able to play a small part in making that happen is a very important thing. We think an amazing thing to do and to see somebody like WEF coming in with the Uplink program is just a super development for the markets. Also, you know, having had the chance now for a few weeks to work with the Uplink team I think they not only had a great idea with this program, but the way they're bringing it into life is very open and collaborative. They brought together quite a nice diverse group of partners to put the program together, but also to support the winners of the challenge. So we're uh, really honored and thrilled to be a part of this group and very much looking forward to continuing our partnership and offering our own skills and experience and network.
3: Catherine, maybe that's a good chance for us to ask the question back to David and Andreas. Why did you guys get involved?
4: (laughs) I think the challenges that you state in the beginning, John, with recognition, every emerging manager is looking to find their first cornerstone investor, and that is incredibly difficult. And what we find they need is recognition from the ecosystem that they are amongst the best in what they do. They need visibility. And then what they bring typically themselves is the access to founders and deal flow. So solving for that first part, which is on the LP side, that is exactly what they need. And that's why we very much believe that this program, this challenge had the potential to really make a difference. But then at the same time, it's also attacking one of the areas that we feel the most that we should be helping finance more gps and which is of course the STTs david do you want to comment on it or can i kick it back to john
1: no and maybe just john to answer your question there's a personal reason why david is involved and then there is the reasons why andreas said why we are involved as some people know i am a member of the global shapers community that is one of the uh, world economic forums projects which stands side by side with uplink and so for me, you know, that association to the World Economic Forum and to the Global Shapers and to uplink and other projects, such as YGL, Young Global Leaders, which, by the way, some of our past guests, GPs, are YGLs. So that's a funny little coincidence. So I just want to be involved as much as I can and help drive impact in local communities. And that, that's the mission of, of Global Shapers. And, you know, I, I could talk for hours about non-VC related stuff which I won't. But that's a big reason for David wanting to be involved. And then what's actually funny about what Andreas said is if we look at the first kind of tagline we had for the European VC, it was something around the lines of championing the best emerging VCs. And that's literally what you just kind of said, John, right? It's recognition, it's visibility. And if we see at our own syndicate activity, which we launched in January, it's about driving capital to these emerging VCs. So that's the third topic that you raised. So the match is there. It's so obvious. We had to be involved. We had to help. And we're, we're super hyped about being involved
4: and hopefully we can help. What I wanted to kick back with, John, was to say, OK, you've given the big overview, but maybe we could dive in a bit more detail. Could you tell us more what the program holds for managers and also how they go about applying and, and so on?
3: Yeah, listen, we're trying to get the word out as much as we can. So the first, how do you apply? If you follow Uplink or the World Economic Forum, it's all across our feeds on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I'd say one out of every 10 or so posts that the forum makes is about Uplink. It's one of four live challenges that we have right now. So it's innovative funds for our future is the challenge. So you can look to find it through one of those feeds or go to uplink.weforum.org. And you can find it as one of the banner challenges right on the homepage of the website. We're trying to make it easy, right? We want to make sure that people aren't spending hours and hours filling out forms. I've even submitted a dummy myself. It took me about 10 minutes pretending to be a VC to fill out the form. I I got most of it from this VC's website. So it's not like it's things that are going to be too difficult to filter through. And we're going to make it easy for people to apply. And then once we get kind of the top qualified ones, we are going to send out a follow-up questionnaire, probably to the top 20 or 30 percent after an internal assessment. And what we're really excited about in terms of partnering with people is that we're getting great ideas. People are plugging their networks, trying to find who amongst their communities and of the VCs that they work with or people that they know in that sector are able to apply. And then we have experts from each of the supporting partners and a few others who are going to help us evaluate. And so that's kind of let's say top 20, 30%. We're going to narrow down and hopefully end up with 30 or 40 that a selection panel will review. Our aim is to have some diversity, if I'm really honest. Partly we want to be recognizing the top, you know, four or five funds across each of these thematic areas. And we're looking to have geographic diversity as well. I know this is the European VC. I have no doubt there will be a strong European contingent as part of this, given our our partners, but also, you know, where we've developed Uplinks Network as well. But we've seen actually that the lion's share of the entrepreneurs that are part of Uplinks ecosystem are from the global south. And we think when you think about the SDGs, this is so important. We need to be matching innovation in that local space with funding that is happening in local areas as well. Now, That doesn't mean it must be based and located right next to those entrepreneurs, but funds that are focused on emerging markets, I think, are also something that we want to encourage. So that might be a European VC that has interests in other regions as well. That's a little bit about how to apply and how we're going to go about evaluating them. Some of the criteria that we think of that are really important, perhaps we can get into later on. But once they're selected, we then have kind of a built-in onboarding process, both digitally, as well as through virtual engagements. And with each of the VCs, we're then going to go through a process of evaluating which of the aspects of the World Economic Forum's ecosystem could we get them involved with? How do we develop a storyline that we can get through our digital channels? And which aspects of Uplink's innovation network and programming that we offer every month would be appropriate to pull them into? So let me pause there. And hopefully that gives our listeners a a bit of an idea of how to get involved.
4: Uh, for sure. And we will, of course, also be putting out the link together with this episode. It's probably going to be in the Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever Uh, uh, description. If not, then that's because of technical issues there. (laughs) So you can always go and find it on the European VCC website. But John, I'd love to dive a bit deeper because yes, I understand STG. I understand there's stuff like nature, ocean, plastics, climate action, all that kind of stuff. But you're also saying innovative investment funds. That's part of the criteria. What do you mean by innovative?
3: Yeah, good question. We had some nice debate about this, actually, in the group that was pulling it together. I'd love Catherine, David, Andres, for you guys to kind of bring your thoughts.
4: Everyone is nodding here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just to be specific, you know, we are looking for market rate returns. We're looking for funds that are looking to be both profitable and to show the world that you can invest in SDG areas and make great returns both for your investors as well as support entrepreneurs that are doing the same. The, just to be kind of explicit from the, the outset about that part. And yet at the same time, we're convinced that there are market opportunities to affect oceans, to affect food industries and sectors, to of course in the climate and renewable energy space, just to name a few of, of the SDG areas we're focused on. But I think some of the innovation that we're hoping to look at is about how teams are setting up and operating, how they are incorporating some of the ESG metrics into their evaluation of companies and into their own impact evaluation, looking at how they're thinking about being collaborative. Are they a fund that is thinking about co-investments and syndication? Are they willing to look at opportunities and think about which peers could they pull in with them? And at the same time, you know, how are they actually supporting entrepreneurs with a thought about opening up networks, thinking of bringing in technologies when appropriate from the rest of their VC network? To help scale. I was actually recently in in Helsinki, my first time there, and I was looking to explore a little bit of the VC and entrepreneur ecosystem there. And they came up with something that I loved. They told me, listen, John, one of the things that makes Helsinki and Finland different is that we're not hyper competitive, we're hyper collaborative. That is perhaps a little bit of a Finnish way of doing things. But that's something that we thought of when we were kind of designed this. It's not just about selecting the most successful VCs in these areas, I think the design committee also was thinking about how do they form a bit of a group that could help one another as well, and thinking through some of that collaborative spirit. And especially if we're looking at across regions and across sectors, you could imagine that we're actually hopefully they're not too competitive with one another when we get down to that final group of 20, 25, 30 VCs, that in fact, they can really be supportive of one another. But maybe I kick that over to Catherine as well, because I'd love your thoughts about what for you and what for Isomer makes a, a really innovative VC.
2: John, I'm desperate to ask you about that new fund of yours and what you have in mind, but I think we'll put a pin in that for now. (laughs) Your point on collaboration and community is a very strong one. One of the things that we try to do as much as we can within the ISOMER team is to bring the ecosystem together, right, and for us it's in a European context, but what we see is that whether you're raising a fund in Helsinki or Tallinn or Porto, you come across similar challenges, right? It's the same as being a founder, you'll come across some of the same technical challenges but also psychological and emotional challenges and when you bring people together, it's often non-competitive by nature because they'll be doing different things in different geographies and just having the opportunity to talk and to build those links is, I think, beneficial to everyone and ultimately the founders in this case. I think for us, innovative is bringing something to the market that has a little bit of an edge, right? Something that only you can do as an investor because you're bringing together your experience, expertise, view, vision, and your uh, investment strategy. And you're putting something in front of founders that is very compelling, right? Because you can support them in a way that the other players in the market are not. So it takes many, many different shapes. And if you look at our portfolio of funds, certainly you could see quite uh, a few iterations of what innovative could mean. But I think it's the same way you would look at a company, right? It's something that uh, hasn't necessarily been done before and is bringing a very positive solution to the market.
4: John, I'm sitting here looking, and for everyone listening in, all this sounds big and great, and what does it really mean? When you go on the site of Uplink, you actually have a very clear bulleted list that says, this is what we're looking for. So for all of you to go there, but I'm looking at one of them, and I'm thinking, okay, all of that looks standard. That's what we expect from an LP. But then you've got one here that says, evidence of a values-based approach to their operations, investment thesis, due diligence, and term sheets. What is evidence of a values-based approach?
3: Yeah, good question. We're looking for, in that aspect, somewhat about your track record and portfolio. In some ways, actions speak bigger than words, right? We do ask in the submission form for examples of who you've invested in. That is not made publicly available, but it helps through the evaluation process. And you don't have to put it if you're not comfortable, but that's something that, that gives us a sense of, What are the types of companies that you are putting your money behind? So that's one aspect. The second is just a little bit of visibility about what does your team look like? There's another one that gets to that point uh, in the description. We're looking for teams that are putting forward a gender-balanced leadership and team structure for their VC. How are you incorporating some really important elements of inclusion in your setup, but also in the companies that you're investing in? So do you have evidence of investing in female-led enterprises as well? And then I think some of it is going to come through in a follow-up questionnaire. We're going to be actually asking people to describe what is their investment thesis. And our hope is that people will be able to look at the criteria that we're looking to evaluate and interpret it themselves. What would you describe in your own VC as the aspect that is innovative that we've asked earlier in the conversation, that is an example of a value-based approach? Let's be honest. This is going to mean something different to a VC that's sitting in Europe, in Switzerland, than it will be in Portugal and certainly to somebody that's sitting over in Malaysia or in Peru. And so we really want to you know take that cultural consideration into mind when we're looking at this. We're excited to actually you know gain some perspective of what do people think is a value-based approach in their own environment. And that'll be part of the fun part of this, I think.
4: I remember a conversation in the panel or whatever we call that, the group working with this, where we talked about, can you be a value-based VC? And then at the same time, also be a Cayman-based VC. <laughs> so, yes, it is always yeah, paying a, taxes. Uh,
3: Should people be paying taxes?
4: I pay sure, my taxes. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that, and that's the exact discussion we had, right? Then you have a VC that have investors that all say, well, uh, I'd love to put in 20 million, really help cornerstone your fund. But I do all my investments through uh, the Virgin Isles, yeah. and I need you to incorporate there. Hmm. Okay,
3: <laughs> these are super hard questions, aren't yeah. they right of like, you know, where are you and I can only imagine especially for your audience as emerging fund managers, they're probably put into this situation more than an established one who can say no to funding at certain times. I'm not saying that we're going to guarantee that funding will flow for the winners of this, but we'd like to say that there is a possibility of finding funders and LPs who aren't going to put you as a GP in that type of a situation.
0: Yeah, for sure,
1: Catherine, I've been uh, wanting to ask you this for some time. You know, I think it's safe to say that you are quite passionate about these topics of SDG as an individual, much, yep. but you also professionally an LP. But more interestingly, you also deal with your own LPs as a fund. I'd love to hear your considerations around what something John said about delivering returns, but also delivering impact. And you know, we've had many conversations in the podcast about this, where we have different perspectives of Why they go hand in hand, why they don't go hand in hand, how they correlate to each other. And I'd love to hear your take on it. And also, what do you see out there in the market now? Because you see a lot of GPs, and I think most of our listeners would love to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, that's something that I could uh, talk about for a long time. And I think you'll hear different views on this across the industry. But, you know, to be honest, even within our own team, right? What I think I can say is we're big believers in using capital for positive outcomes, right? That's really what kind of brought us together to build Isomer, our love of founders and the potential for tech to make the world better. And it sounds quite trite, but it's true. That's what kind of gets us up in the morning. But we're also commercial investors. We promise our LPs excellent returns, and if any of them are listening, there is no change to that. (laughs) And we've uh, delivered on that so far, and we absolutely will continue to do that. Having said this, I think the evidence, certainly of recent years, is that it's possible to strike a balance, right, between going after strong financial performance and targeting some impact goals the kinds of companies that we're talking about here we're not traveling back to the mid 2000s and you know having vcs throwing money at i don't know solar panels or wind farms or that sort of big world changing but hugely capital intensive project we're looking at very sort of venture y companies if you will first of all the market opportunities are massive right if you're going after big problems like CO2 emissions or solving packaging or education, right? Just in terms of scale and in terms of potential, that will get any investor excited for sure. But also these founders, they're applying tech innovation to issues. So using the kinds of approaches and tools that we're a little bit more familiar with, right? Whether that's sort of software, to optimize or to improve some processes. And, of course, there's a fair bit of hardware, but often with a very strong software component and the hardware bit is well understood by many of the um, European VCs that we work with. So they take this approach to solving a problem, and in a way it's quite similar to other models that we've seen, right? It might be a SaaS approach that is you know, in line with some of the more typical companies that we see. So I guess it is more clear today that with relatively little capital and a reasonable amount of time, you can build a great company and have a good outcome as a VC. And I think this is where there's a clear difference from maybe what we might have been talking about in terms of impact investing or clean tech, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. So in our view, the approach that Uplink is taking makes a ton of sense. You're really aligning those two goals of strong performance, but also impact. And in our view, financial returns not only can be aligned with those of more traditional VCs, but they should be aligned, because the more success comes from these purpose-driven or impact companies, call them what you will, it just brings more attention and more weight, right? I think about how Tesla has sort of spearheaded and accelerated so much development for electric cars. And I know it's not maybe the perfect example, there's some not so positive things that can be said about Tesla, but it got very, very big and very, very successful, right? And if the kinds of companies that we're talking about here reach a level of success and scale in their respective fields, it's just gonna prove our points, right? So I'm quite excited to have this discussion, you know, five, 10 years from now. And it's something that I track closely in our portfolio, right, the companies that are SDG aligned versus those who are not, and how are they building their teams? How are they growing revenue? How are their NAVs comparing? It's early days, there's early conclusions, but again, ask me again in five years' time.
3: But don't you also think it's somewhat about how society is changing? both businesses and consumers so any b2b company or entrepreneur is seeing that there's a, now a demand for companies to think about their carbon offset absolutely and so you know one of the entrepreneurs that we're supporting is called Pachama they just secured a 55 million dollar series b round after subsequent series a and seed rounds in the last year and a half and this is a great example of a company who is they're doing you know cloud computing and satellite imagery to let's say regulate and observe how carbon offset projects are actually taking place. And so there's going to be a real market for these This because businesses are becoming aware of the need to be focused on the climate issues and climate action. Likewise, I think also for consumers, so B2C companies as well, right? How many of us are buying sustainable products or using sustainable transport in the cities that we live in? This whole aspect of what a sustainable investment is and what a sustainable company does has just changed so dramatically over the last decade. We're in a really exciting space where people don't have to sacrifice returns when they're thinking about investing in companies that are focused on a better planet and better societies.
2: Totally agree with that, John. I think there's a very special alignment at the moment between all of the stakeholders, if you will, right? So, you know, we've talked about the investors that are becoming a little bit more minded in how they back companies and the kind of difference they want to make into the world. So VCs are thinking about that partly because their LPs are asking those questions, right? Mm -hmm. And then it goes down to founders. I think at the founder level, the comment I would make is the ambition has changed a lot, Mm. especially when you talk to repeat founders who have built other things before and now they want to do something. And really, they're so driven by making a difference, right? And maybe they had some success in the past and they think, right, I've done it, it's great. But now what I really want to focus on is something that is hugely positive. So I think founder ambition is probably the driver of everything we're talking about today. That's what they want to work on. That's what they are working on. And around this ambition, they're able to build amazing teams, right, and hire quicker, high-quality people that maybe otherwise wouldn't have joined this small startup that can't really pay them properly, but they don't care because there is a purpose, and it gets them excited. Consumers, you've talked about, I think that the mindset and the decision-making process has changed a lot and purpose-driven companies have a big edge here and also and this is a bit of more of the boring kind of driver but I think an important one uh, regulation plays a big role right Uh, increasingly it's going to become much more difficult or you know much less common I think for some of the behaviors that were totally normal in the traditional context and we're seeing it at a kind of investor level with things like SFDR in Europe and how we need to make disclosures and to align our investments and so on, but also for founders and for regulations around products and and safety and so on. So that's another element that is pushing us in the direction.
4: Absolutely. Guys, we are up on the clock, so I think we should uh, shift to the quickfire round. Are you ready for it? It's a 30 to 60 second answer round where we're going to have some fun with you. This is great. First one is for both of you. In the world of STD, what areas excite you that most other people don't really feel that excited about? John, feel free to start.
3: Yeah, for me, I think I'm really getting excited about water. Water is good to drink. (laughs) Sometimes in the evening, you might not think of that, but water is good to drink it's really at the center of so many things. If we can protect uh, the climate, you're going to protect glaciers. We're going to have a better uh, chance of creating freshwater ecosystems that are productive for downstream into urban centers. And yet at the same time, I don't think it's that area of innovation and entrepreneurship that gets a ton of attention. So that's the one that I'm excited to see us do more with in the next year.
4: Catherine?
2: I think I would say circular economy. It has such a direct impact on climate change and to me it seems like almost like the low-hanging fruit, right? We've got so many things, we have too many things and we're not using them or sometimes we want to get rid of them, but they still have a lot of life. And if there's a way that we can reuse much more than we do at the moment, then less things get created using resources and transportation and all of that. And as we've talked a lot about ideas so far, I could give an example to bring some color. We've got a company in our portfolio called Refurbed, based in Austria, and they're a marketplace for refurbished electronics. So if you want to replace your iPhone, or your computer or maybe you're buying something for your kids and you wanna save a little bit of money, buy something that's in perfect condition and at the same time has less of an impact on our planet. We're aware of all of the environmental and social cost of the materials that go into our electronics. They've built a beautiful marketplace for our consumers to do that. So I think in that sense, it's again applying technology solutions to a very real problem. And Europe is certainly setting a a good example in this area.
3: I don't think she hit 60 seconds or less than that one. (laughs) I think you guys are doing
4: everything you can to make us live up to the promise of a two-hour episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, next question. It's for you as well, Catherine. What are your top three tips for purpose-driven emerging VCs who are fundraising?
2: Right. promise I'll be quick with this one. If you're an emerging manager, you can think of this as the same thing you would tell your founders, right? So my three would be think about your fund like your product. You wanna build something that customers want and love and everything you do should be totally founder centric. This takes me to my second point, which is community. The best thing you can spend your time on as an emerging manager is your network of founders and the depth of your relationships, right? Because that's really the value that you're bringing to your LPs. And then the third one probably would be grit. Raising a fund is incredibly hard. You're going to hear no a thousand times. We hear no all the time. It's super hard. But if you've got passion and conviction and you're really connecting with founders, I promise you, you will raise that fund.
4: That's beautiful. John, we've got a special one for you. You've been working closely with VCs from the outside this past time. Tell us, what's the one thing that you're seeing us doing wrong in the industry? Ooh, aside from people avoiding taxes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that we're completely over. <laughs>
3: I'd observe two things in talking to lots of entrepreneurs, right? I think one is this kind of hesitation to say yes or no. That's one of the criteria we're actually looking at is kind of speed to close deals. Is, and that's not something we're going to be able to quantify, but hopefully you'll tell us about it when you submit. So be quick, guys. We've heard a lot of kind of horror stories of people going through like a whole year of due diligence process, getting to the end, and then there's actually a backing out. I think the second piece uh, would be just if you're an emerging entrepreneur in, in emerging markets and you're focused on transforming the food sector or transforming the water sector, it's not easy, but it has to get done. And these countries and cities will benefit so immensely from this work. And so I guess a little bit of also saying, You know, how can you help a company build over time and being willing to go back with kind of second or third rounds of investment for them so that you can help them grow to the right point when you can kind of deliver on that return for your investors.
4: Now, John, let's continue with you for a bit and ask you what can we expect in the future from Uplink and from John? I hear that there's a VC fund on the way that's going to be... uh super sexy
3: we thought about putting (laughs) together our own fund at the forum in the end we decided that you know what it's so much more important for us to leverage our core strength around convening and if we can convince people lps and other members of our community by raising awareness in some of the emerging funds that are doing great work if we can direct the capital towards them that's more important actually so no fund at least not on the early term horizon for for us here at uplink on the other hand we're looking to expand a bit we're approaching the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos in 10 days' time, and we're excited to announce a couple of new collaborations. It'll take us into collaborating in the water space. We're looking to drive an aquapreneur revolution with a, a couple of partners that'll be announced in the next week or two, and then also in the food space. So, those are the short term ones adding on to really depth and innovation ecosystems that we have in nature, restoration and conservation, oceans, plastics, circular economy among a few others.
4: Catherine, same question to you. What's next for Isomer Capital and for Catherine?
2: Well, I think the quick answer is expect to see a lot more from Isomer Capital, I guess. We're just doubling down on our thesis that European founders are creating amazing tech. So we're going to continue to back these great VCs and companies that we find in all corners of Europe. And I think doing that you know, we're making sure that we're staying close to the ground and listening to our portfolio and the broader market to kind of really understand what they need, right? And this came across from John's comment. And I think as as investors, that's it's kind of our duty to see how best we can support entrepreneurs. Of course, there's capital, but there's other form of things that we do that can help out founders and VCs who sometimes... They need liquidity options and we will do secondary transactions for founder shares or VC interests, especially in areas that are quite cutting edge, right? There's, I think, some forms of support that we don't even know about as we're spending more time and kind of weird and wonderful things around climate, but also around, you know, Web3 and crypto as investors. We're, you know, going to need to do a lot of work to keep up with the entrepreneurs that are building great companies
1: exciting times for everyone here Catherine John thank you so much for joining us at the European VC both of you are long standing friends of us and of our community and so hope to see you around and you know you can count on us for whatever thanks so much and if you're listening in guys visit uplink uplink.weforum.org and there's a banner there and just apply and it takes 10 minutes probably even less. Worst case scenario, you get connected to an amazing network of people who are ethos aligned with you.
2: Thank you for having us. It was an absolute pleasure to have this talk. Love the podcast. Keep doing your great work. And we'll talk very soon.
3: Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.